You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. I want to share this morning, we're going to talk about the, the togetherness of Jesus and God the Father. You know, so often it's so... It's often so confusing to try to separate out or try to understand the nature of God himself, that it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And our, our little pea-sized brains, just we really don't comprehend that very well. And every once in a while, I'll be driving down the road, and I'll have a thought, and my, my brain just kind of short circuits, just kind of like, you know, what? how does that work? I mean, I just don't even understand that. And, and it's often confusing to, to try to understand, like, well, do we sing to Jesus? Do we sing to God? Do we sing to God the Father? Like, well, well am I now trying to, like, well, what if I forget one, I do the other? Like, how does, and where does the Holy Spirit and all of that fit in there? And it's just so confusing. So, and, the, and it's kind of natural in a, in, for us as Christians because they're together. They, by definition, the word Trinity means tri-unity. You know, three equaling one, which is bad math, but it's good theology. That's just pragmatically the way who God is. And uh, I, th- I think I've said it before, but if we could really understand all that God is, by definition, He wouldn't be God. You know, there's so much. Think about it, There's so much in the, the mathematics world, in the natural world. There's so much in the world around us that we don't get. We don't understand. I mean, how often science is coming out, oh, we finally figured this out, we finally figured this out. And sometimes it's small stuff like, oh, we can finally really explain how a bicycle works. And I'm like, what? And I'm thinking, you guys should have, like, you know, when they're talking probably high-end physics stuff that is blowing my mind, if we could understand God, then God is even lower than the natural world. So we ought to expect that God is going to blow our mind in short circuit. Well, this morning... Jesus unpacks for the Jewish leaders in a very uh, tangible way the profound reality that He and the Father are together. John the Apostle opened up his Gospel of John by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Two facts that don't seem that they could be together the same. If something is with something, it can't be that something at the same time. Like, that's impossible. You can be with your best friend, and because you are with your best friend, you are not your best friend. You know, some people may say, like, you're inseparable, like you guys are... No, you can't be with something and be that same thing. So we know from a very substantial philosophical, metaphysical, whatever cool word you want to put to it, that there's something going on with Jesus and God and God the Father in particular. But now we're at the story in John 5 that Jesus is explaining that to the religious leaders, and they blow a gasket. They do not like this reality. So we're going to kind of take a deep dive in exactly what that means for Jesus to be together with the Father. I, uh, I told the story last week. John chapter 4 ended with a, a miracle that Jesus did. John chapter 5 that we did not read, but it's another miracle where Jesus goes, and it's on the Sabbath, and he goes to this, this fountain that would naturally bubble, probably a natural spring of some sort. And over the years, it was urban legend that, that people would gather around there, and they kind of thought that angels or something was coming and stirring the water, and the first one into the water would get healed. And it just didn't work that way. It, it, we don't ever fall for things that aren't real ever at all today, right? We're smarter than that, right? We don't ever believe anything 
thing that's false or strange. Like, we're, all of us are smarter than that. We believe, we know on the internet stuff that's true, stuff that's not true. We, we're all really, right? <laughs> you know how that works. So Jesus goes in and he talks to the guy and, and he says, do you want to be healed? And he's like, yeah, but somebody always beats me into the water. It's kind of hard when you can't walk to drag yourself in the water. And so Jesus says, all right, good enough. You want to be healed? Get up, take up your mat, your little not really a cot, cot, just kind of a little, you know, thin little reed mat or whatever he's laying on, and, and walk. You're, you're healed. And he, he goes and he does that. Now that triggers a whole after story, and that's where we want to pick up the story this morning in, in verse 10. So it was the Sabbath day. So in verse 10 of chapter 5, the Bible says this, So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath! What are you doing? It's the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Oh my goodness, talking about missing the headline. The headline is, is, oh, you are healed. I mean, know what this guy looks like. He's laying for his whole life on hard surface pavement. I, I'm picturing sores on his body. He didn't have nice memory foam, guys. I mean, he's not on the nice Serta mattress and, you know, all of that. I mean, he looked a mess. He was not well fed. He's hungry. And now he's up and walking. I mean, even muscle atrophy was not an issue. Those muscles had never been used. And even his arm, I just completely, and he's up and walking. And the only thing they can come up with is, why are you carrying your mat? You're working. You're breaking the Sabbath. As if he was supposed to lay there for 24 hours, you know, until like, oh, I can do this tomorrow, you know, and I'll, I'll just... And, it, and by the way, the mat was like the only thing the guy owned, you know. It was like, so is he going to get up? And then that's just ridiculous. They just so, so missed the point. If you're, those of you that are in the class on Thursday night, that's one of the things that the Pharisees blew a gasket over. They just, they just, you know, you're breaking our laws. We had all these rules that we laid out, and you're breaking them all, Jesus. It really was the issue. So the man, he didn't want to get in trouble. So like most of us do as people, he passed the buck. In verse 11, he's like, but he answered to them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. I was not my fault. I'm just, this guy healed me, and he told me to do it. I'm like, oh, wow. They asked him in verse 12, who's the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? They wanted to get on him for telling him to work, not to like thank him for healing the guy and that God did something amazing. In verse 13, now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. It's just so crazy. Jesus goes up, okay, take your man up and walk. And then Jesus himself walks away, kind of slips into the crowd and just, you know, I'm like, what? This is a, an incredible miracle. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. There's a whole sermon and lesson devotion in that one we're not going to touch today. But hey, you're healed, but you still got some issues in your life, son. Don't think that just because I've done something cool in your life that everything in your life is good to go. Make sure that you deal spiritually with what you need to in your heart. We make that mistake often. God blessed me here, so I must be good to go. No, it doesn't work that way. The man went away, in verse 15, and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. I found the guy who told me this. You're sending out the FBI, all the agents are trying to figure it out. I found him, I found him. Here it is. Get on him. I'm good. It was Jesus. And in verse 16, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. He was breaking their rules. 
teaching the traditions of men, the Bible says, for the doctrines of God. But Jesus answered them. Here's his answer. My father is working until now, and I am working. My father's working. He's doing stuff. And it's natural if my father's working that I should be working too. Because you see, we're together. That's what he's talking about in this whole passage. Look at verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Oh my goodness, talk about over the top. You broke the rule. Could you imagine? Like, you didn't make the coffee right. We're going to kill you. You know, you didn't tithe this week. You didn't pray on Monday. You're, you know, and that's just, that's insane. That's what they were doing. They wanted to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. In other words, he was claiming by saying, my father, not our father, to have a special relationship with God in such a way that as it says to us, making himself equal with God. Make no mistake, Jesus claimed to be God. Absolutely, categorically, 100%. He knew when he said, my father, that it was a claim to have such a close relationship together with God in a way that nobody in the world had ever had that he was claiming equality at God. This is the God that had revealed himself, you know, through um, all the way from, from Adam and Eve and down through those years and, and, and for hundreds of years, it got all the way to Moses. And people knew that there was God out there that he had revealed enough of himself, but he had never even bothered to tell people his name. And Moses had to say, by the way, what's your name? Because people want to know this, and they're going to think I'm crazy if I don't know your name. So this God finally told him his name. Nobody naturally has this close relationship with God in and of themselves. But Jesus claimed that, and so the Jews sought to kill him. I want you to notice four things this morning. The, the togetherness between God the Father and God the Son. God the Holy Spirit is just as together, all three in one, but that's not what Jesus is trying to teach this morning. He's just trying to explain His own relationship that He has to the Father. So the first thing is, I want you to notice that they are together in equality. Together in equality. Jesus never puts Himself on par with us and says, our Father. You know how often I'll say, you know, well, you do it, I do it, that we'll say, you know, when we mess up, I'll say that. We, we're all together in this, we're all sinners or whatever, I'll say we. Jesus never does that. He never, when He's talking to the Father, He never says, our Father, together. Oh, He told us in the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, that we are to pray our Father, but He doesn't join us in that prayer. He always says, when He's talking about him, His own self, He says, my Father. He claims a special relationship with God in heaven that no one else will ever experience at all. Yes, there is a sense in which as a child of God that we become, you know, we become adopted into his family, into the family of God. We become sons or children of God as well. In the Bible, you know, there, there's kind of that, that teaching in there that we become brothers, if you will, in that setting. But Jesus is forever equal with God the Father together inequality completely with him. He was claiming that. And the Jews knew it. And as a result of it, as we talked on Thursday, was, these are, in fact, these are a couple of the things of why especially the Pharisee rulers wanted to kill Jesus. He broke their rules and he claimed to be equal with God and that was enough. They were ready to, to completely get rid of him and dismiss him. You see, Jesus is God himself who came, who came to this earth. He's not God the Father 
and this is where we don't understand, they're distinct from each other, but they have the same nature. If, if, if God were physical, which he is not, the way we would describe it is, is they have the same DNA. That's what we would say. They're made of the same stuff. But because God's not physical, he's spiritual, we don't have words to describe that. They're of the same nature, the same essence. They're not the same individuals. In fact, it's wrong to think of them entirely as separate individuals because they're never separated. This is where our brain hits a wall and we don't fully understand it. And you have to be careful how you define it because you end up as a heretic on kind of on either side. There's a ditch on either side of the road. You know, you drive in the country, you go off the road in the wintertime, you're in a ditch on this side. If you go off the road, you go off on that side. You know, Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. He's not. None of that's all mixed together. He didn't put two natures, put them in a blender and come out some funky color. It's not like putting red food coloring in a little, what's another color? Green, you know, does it turn brown if you do those two? You know, they didn't mix it up and make it brown, so it's all yucky. It's just Jesus is God and he's man together in one in one body, one being, and he is distinct from the Father, so they're recognizable individually, but they're together one God, never separate. So it confuses us. We, we have trouble, like, well, should I pray to Jesus? By the way, the Bible tells you to pray to the Father. When the Bible said, Jesus said, pray this way when you pray, and he says, our Father, this is what we're to do, that we pray to the Father, but we do it under the authority of Jesus. We don't pray to Jesus I mean, are you a heretic if you pray, dear Jesus? No, but Jesus is passing the prayers up line to the Father, right? Have you ever gone to some place and given something to somebody or maybe you need to make a phone call and you're like, I don't know who to talk to, but I have this thing. And they're like, oh, let me give you to the person in charge. And they pass it up line. The prayers go to the Father. He's the one that answers the prayers. He's the, the, God, the Godhead, if we're being really specific. But we pray in Jesus' name because He's the one that died he, on the cross. He's the one that's through His blood. We have a relationship with Him. So we pray to the Father, but we do it based on Jesus' authority and on His salvation and making us clean. So they're together. But what Jesus came to do is to build a bridge. And it's popular in the world around us to think that all bridges lead to God. Like all the religions are all the same, and as long as you just believe in God, everything's the same. I'm, I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. Only Jesus is with God. Only He is with God the Father, and only He is, is, he is the only one, the only legitimate bridge that we can go. Because the Bible said that it's only through His name. There's no other name under heaven given among men, given among us as people, by which we must be saved. That He is the way, the truth, and the life. And it only works because he's equal with God the Father, that he is God, and he built the bridge to us and spanned that gap of our sin. So Jesus is together with God the Father in equality. Second thing I want you to recognize, because he's together with God the Father in equality, the Bible impacts what this really means. There's a lot of ramifications. He's together, uh, they're together in their work. Look what the Bible says in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord. It's not that He doesn't want to. He can't. They're together. You know, husbands and wives shouldn't live their lives separately, but it's a shouldn't, not a can't. 
It's impossible for Jesus to do anything of his own because he's organically, If I, again, we struggle with our living in this physical world to put words to something there. They're, they're together. They're inseparable. So he can't do anything of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing in verse 19. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. He's like, look, guys, I'm just doing what the Father's doing. The Father's at work in this world. I'm doing it also. For the Father loves the Son. This working together is an intimacy. Again, my brain like, oh my goodness. So they, they're distinct, but there's actual love between the two. And, and, but there's one. I, I, if you love yourself too much, you're, what's the word to it? Like, like clinically, you're like narcissist. Is that the, the right word? You know, like you're a little messed Got, you got issues. You're probably looking at me like, Sean, yeah, you love yourself. You are the narcissist. That's the thing with narcissists. They don't ever recognize like they've got that, you know. So maybe I've got it and don't know it. I don't know. But, but the father loves the son. And it's okay. So there's a togetherness, three recognizable, distinct individuals, if we could dare use that word without getting into heresy, one together. And this working together is a, is a fact of a, an intimacy, a relationship uh, together. It says, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. doesn't hide anything. The Father doesn't keep anything from the Son. And greater works than these. In other words, greater than the miracle that I just did, telling this guy to get up and take his mat. Like, you got a problem with me telling this guy to work on the Sabbath? God, God the Father, who, by the way, gave you the commandment in the first place, is the one who did this. You're getting mad at me? Get mad at him. I'm just doing what he's doing. He says, and he'll do greater works than these, will he show him, so that you may marvel. God wants you and me. He wants us to marvel, to be astonished, to be shocked and blown away at his work because it reveals his glory. It reveals his love. You see, God knows the world's messed up. And it's what these miracles are all about. The reason there are signs we talked last week is because they show the grace and love and mercy that God has toward us as people. And He wants us to be astonished and to see that. God the Father and God the Son are together in their work. And they're always working. See, the Jews understood rightly that the Bible says that God in six days God made heaven and earth and then He rested. I really believe that's literal six days. I know it's getting increasingly common in, in gospel preaching church to think that those aren't literal days. And I just think people are bowing more to evolution than they really need to. We don't need to be afraid of all of that. There's just a lot in there that we can't fully understand, and we're not ever going to understand all the time. I see articles all the time because I'm a nature guy. Oh, here's an animal we just found that we've thought for the last 30 years was extinct. And we just found a whole bunch of them. Like, you're not even smart enough to know which planet animals and plants are alive on the earth. How am I going to really think you understand what lived thousands of years ago and all of that? Like, come on, you know, not, I'm not a, a, a weird um, conspiracy theorist. My brain's not working as fast as it needs to. But, you know, but I, it's a little just, let's be a little healthy, cynical, aware of where some of the science is around us. So anyway, so Jesus and God the Father together are working. And because 
Jesus, God made the work on six days and made heaven and earth. On seventh day, he rested, and he told them, remember the Sabbath day and don't work on that day. The Jews went crazy and made all kinds of rules that you weren't supposed to do in order to honor that. And they went far above and beyond and made this legalistic system that if you did all those things, you'd be a good enough person. When you die, you'd go to heaven. It's kind of an essence what they were saying. And God was like, no, that's really not what I was doing. I just wanted you to have one day a week that in the rhythm of your life, you would honor me and keep me in the middle of your life and in your world because you're sinful no matter what you do. And what Jesus was telling them is, look, God hasn't stopped working. He made this world, and he's still working to keep this world spinning. You see, we look around us today, and the big thing that so many people use as an objection of why they don't want to believe in God or believe that God's good is like, look at the bad that's in the world. If God were good... I can't believe him because all this bad stuff's going on. But people miss the flip side of that. You see, the really big headline is, is that God is supernaturally keeping this world glued together. And he's keeping this world afloat by his grace and his mercy. And his grace and mercy is functioning every single day, and people are taking it for granted. The sun coming up this morning and going down. You can look and you can see what time sunrise and sunset's going to be for the next hundred years in Albany, New York, and figure it out down to the milliseconds and all of that. It's a testimony of God's incredible mercy and grace. God is holy. He's the, not only the creator, but the sustainer of the world in which we live. And Jesus coming and doing miracles is a testimony that God is not only regularly showing his grace and mercy in this world, but he's even supernaturally trying to get our attention and bring those good things in. And Jesus is saying, what? Of course I should be working today. There's not a day that I'm not working to make, keep this world going and to bless it and to bring blessing into this world. It's an automatic kind of thing. Here's a practical implication for your life and for mine. You and I too often miss that truth. And let's, let's be really honest with ourselves, all right? We get up and we go to work and we dread the day or we dread the week. And we know that God is with us but we struggle to really believe that he's going to help us navigate that mess that we're in. Or we struggle with the things going on in our family, and we fail to really believe that God is going to work and help us in that. You see, God is still at work in every area of your life, folks. There's not an area of your world that God is taking a vacation from. Not one. Not a single area. Not one where he's just going to sleep and like, I'm tired. I think I just want to chill and watch a little football this week, you know, see how, how the teams do. He never takes a break. The, the weirdness for us is, is we work, we get tired. God works, he doesn't even ex ex exert energy. Like it doesn't, there's not a negative deficit to his working. He just does his thing and it's just so automatic to us that we just think it's just normal and God is just at work. So for you and for me, we really need to step back and say, God, forgive me for taking your work in the world around me for granted. Forgive me for thinking that even the little stuff going on in my world 
that I somehow think it's too little that you don't care about. There's not an area in your life that God is not only not intimately acquainted, but He is not intimately at work in your world. Now, sometimes we think He's, at, he's away from that, and sometimes it's just because things are hard. But folks, let's be real. After Adam and Eve, didn't He tell Adam and Eve, you know, you've sinned, you've really messed up, and by the way, your life is going to be really hard. That's what He said. Eve, you are going to sweat hard having babies. And it's not just physically having them, it's just raising them and all of that mess that goes with that. Men, your work and your life, your things are just not going to work the way they're supposed to. That's the whole weeds are all about. Things are going to break down. Things aren't going to happen. You're going to have a hard life. But I'm still with you. I'm removing you from my presence, removing you from the garden. I'm still here but you're going to have a hard life. And we struggled even to let those things be a reality. We go through those difficult things, and we somehow think that, well, God's just not working. He is. He's just letting happen what He already told us, that life is going to be hard, but He is still at work around us. And so we need to repent of that when we forget it. We need to have confidence in it and hope as we go into the day you see, what happens is when you and I go through difficult things and we don't have any kernel of hope, life gets really, really hard quickly. And we get discouraged. And if it stays in there day after day, before you know it, we fall into a funk. And the funk we fall into, we have a name for it. It's called depression and all of that. And it, I, This is not a clinical expose or whatever. Training depression, depression is more than that, and it can be other things too, but it's also, that's a piece of it. And sometimes it's just because we really have forgotten that there really is a hope and a God who's at work in that world. It's kind of like when you, I could so pick on a particular football team, and I'm going to behave myself right now, but it's because I, I truly feel sorry for these fans. I really do. Um, but when your team never wins ever, and you watch them out of loyalty, but you have no hope of them ever doing very well, like that's a, that's a pretty miserable existence, right? But at the end of the day, we all know that it, for us, it's just a game, right? That's all there is to it. That's, that's all there is. It really doesn't hit you and affect you. But when that game is your life and the stuff you're dealing with, and you lose the hope that there's a God in heaven that somehow, even when this is really crazy and going on, that God is still watching over you and taking care of you, and it's going to be all good. When you lose that practical conscious in your brain, in your mind, in the middle of those meetings, in the middle of things going down bad, life gets dark quickly. And the lesson we need to take out of this, what Jesus is telling them, guys, God's at work always, in every area, in small little places, talking to a guy by a fountain that you know nothing about, far away from the temple, far away from the church. God's at work, and I'm right alongside working with Him too. Jesus is at work all around us, and we should live with that kind of attitude. Second thing that we need that this pragmatically means, it means that it's the whole reason why we pray. Because God is at work today, we pray. If God were not at work today... What are we praying for? See, God didn't sit in heaven. You ever, you know, you ever have the little tops or spin little things, you know, you spin them? It's not that God just started this world out in six days and spun it and then said, okay, I'm going to get to see what happens. And we just go about doing our thing and God just sits back and watches. He's actively involved. 
And because he's actively involved, we pray. God, would you do something about this? And, and, and it's, the, it's this truth is why prayer exists. Now, the problem with prayer is that you and I, so too often, we fall into the place where, God, I don't like this. I'm asking you to change this. And the Bible tells us is that when we pray, we often don't have what we receive because really, we just want to get our way. Really, we just want to get the results of that and get the benefit of that for us. We want to feel better about it. We want to be blessed. We want something to work out. Even if it's praying, sometimes we pray for somebody else. We want them to get blessed, but we want to feel good by them being blessed. Like we still, we're all more narcissistic than we really want to admit. And Jesus, the Bible says, he was sitting back. It's like, it's not the way the world works. You see, our prayers actually should be not getting uh, our will done in heaven. It's really getting God's will done on earth. It's all about... His kingdom coming, His will being done. And so our prayer goes to Him saying, God, you're at work in this world. This is your kingdom. We live in your world. And God, would you do something? You've told us you want to see people saved. You've told us you want to change lives. You've told us you want to work. And God, would you do that? And, and God, I may be all wet. I may just not really know exactly what you want to do. In fact, I really don't. But I'm asking you to do something. And if I'm out to lunch, if I'm in left field, it's okay. Would you at least help us endure and work through that? But it's because God is at work that we expect Him to be at work all around us in every area of our life, in other people's lives. It's why we can give hope to other people when they're struggling that, hey, there's a God in heaven who loves you and wants to help you through this. And it's because of that that we pray and we go to Him and pray. That's the second thing. Third thing, not only does God, there's Jesus together with God the Father and equality. They're together and at work in the world around us. That Jesus is at work always around us. But they're also together in eternal life. Look what the Bible goes on and says. You know, Jesus said that greater things, He's going to show greater works than these. I don't know about you, but taking a guy that's been paralyzed, not being able to walk, that's pretty heady stuff. And He's going to do greater. And he explains what the greater is in verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. Whoever He wants to, He's going to give life to. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. I'll hit that in a minute. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. So we honor and we worship both together, one God, and it's okay to praise God and to pray the Father and praise Jesus and all of that. It's okay. They're in it together. You honor one, you honor the other. But you can't really honor God by dishonoring the Son. It's only through Him that we have that relationship and honor Him. Verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. Eternal life, right? Raised from the dead. God the Father is going to raise from the dead. By the way, I give life and I raise from the dead. And if you hear the words that I'm saying, because I'm saying words that are in agreement with the Father, we don't do anything differently. And if you believe my words that I'm speaking, and you believe the one who sent me, then you have eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You see, Jesus and the Father are together in giving eternal life. What Jesus came to do was to give life. He did those miracles as proof, not only that He could give life, but that's what He wanted to do. 
Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. It's bad English, but it makes perfectly good sense. Like he wants us to have abundant life and have it even more abundantly and momentum building upon it out of that life relationship that we have with, with Jesus Christ. What the Father is doing and what the Son are doing together is operating, and the Holy Spirit is too, but He's not explaining us that part of the equation. He's being like a math teacher that says, you're not ready for the third part until you get the second part down. You know, that's, we're only getting the first piece of this today. Jesus is going deep and unpacking it pragmatically for us. But he says, guys, here's what I'm about. I'm not just going around trying to tweak your nose and get you all you know, messed up because I'm doing stuff on the Sabbath day and healing. We're running an, a rescue mission. You're dead. This world is dead. And my father and I are both at work trying to bring it life. That's what we're about. And if you're, that's what we're all about. And if you're getting so focused on this other stuff, then you're missing the boat. <laughs> Side little thing, we could kind of go off on this, but so many Christians today get so uptight about all kinds of stuff that just absolutely is meaningless. <laughs> just... Like we miss, we make so such a big deal about so many things. I'll pick an easy one. When days gone by, like, do you use hymns or not? Do you sing from hymns or hymnals or not? Do you do this? It's like seriously. Like I think the Lord Jesus is about something much bigger than all of that. He's about bringing salvation to the world. Let's focus on the big stuff and let all that other stuff go and, and fall away. But he says we're coming to give life. I want you to know this a little bit further. And Jesus, as he's unpacking this, kind of goes back and forth in these topics, but my brain can't do what he does, so I kind of like pick little topic by topic to unpack it. But look what he says. This is really significant. He says, Truly, truly, in verse 25, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself... By the way, you think this world got created, however it happens, has life spontaneously in and of itself? By definition, you're claiming this world to be God. Only God has life naturally within Himself. He says, just as the Father has it, so He's granted the Son also to have life in Himself. So, what the Bible says, the time is coming and is now here. Jesus is saying, it's today. When those who are dead, they shall live. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Do dead people ever hear anything? They're dead. It's okay, as it were, to talk to your loved ones who've passed away. It can be therapeutic in your heart and mind. Do they really hear you? No. Can I prove that? No. But they're not here, and there's just none of that going on. The Bible's like, once you're there, you're there, wherever that is, you're there, and you're here, and there's a separation and all of that. The life that Jesus is talking about is not resurrection at the end. He's talking about a spiritual life that Jesus is give, was giving right now. And he says, I'm trying to give life and help people experience a spiritual resurrection today that is now here in their life. What he's saying is, is I'm trying to help people to be saved. 
I'm trying to help people be forgiven of their sins. I'm trying to help people who are dead in their trespasses and sin, the things that they've done wrong. They've trespassed and done what God said don't do, and they've missed the mark. Their sin has missed the mark of the the perfection that God gave, and so we're corrupt and we're sinful, and because of that, we're dead spiritually. And I'm trying to give life. And that time is now, and that time is here. The hardest thing that religious people have to do before they actually come to where they experience that eternal life that Jesus wants to give is to admit that they're dead in their sins and their trespasses. You see, when people have been brought up religiously their whole life, they can never remember a time when they didn't believe in God and know about these things and all of it, they somehow think that they have life. And But Jesus is talking to people who are very religious folks. I mean, they had seven seasons a year of holy days that they had to observe. And every week and every Sabbath, they were ten times more religious than the most religious person here. And Jesus is telling them, you are spiritually dead. Yes, you believe in God, but you're missing the point. And I'm here to call those who are spiritually dead who are going to hear my voice and to give them life. The reason that religious people ultimately don't become followers of Jesus really in their heart, that just they go through the motions and conform their life and religious habits that look like they have life, but they really don't, is because they're not willing to admit that they're spiritually dead and they need the Lord Jesus to make them alive. And Jesus is coming very clearly and saying, guys, I'm trying to reach out to you as religious people. You're dead. You've you've missed it. And I'm trying to give you life. And if that's where you are, your next step, when you finally admit that, okay, God, I have been spiritually dead because of my sin. And God, I'm done with it. I've heard enough. I've I've, I've talked enough. I've, I've listened enough. I just want Jesus in my life, and I want to know you then right now, just in your heart, you just need to pray that to God. God, I want Jesus to save me. I admit my sin and wrong. God, I want you in charge. I want Jesus to save me. And just nail that down. It's just that going from death to life. You see, you don't slowly, when somebody's on that operating table and they code and that line goes flat, and they put the paddles on them, and they're dead. I know the doctor hasn't pronounced them dead, but their body is dead. It's, it's gone until something happens to awaken it and bring it to life and get that heart beating and, and get that lung, their lungs to fill up and all that again. And even, it's, it's something that has to happen in that time. And for us, going from death to life spiritually is surrendering your life to the Lord Jesus and saying, Jesus, I just, I know I've believed all of this, but I, all of that is to get me to this point, and I surrender my life to you. That's why Jesus came. So the Father is together with the Son in equality. He's together with the Son in work. He's together in the Son and giving us eternal salvation, eternal life. And then I'm going to share this quickly. He's together with the Son in judgment. Look what the Bible says in verse 27. And He, talking about God, the Father, has given Him, talking about Jesus, authority to execute judgment 
because he is the Son of Man. In other words, he's the one that comes from the Father and comes to this earth, and he is the judge of this earth. The Father could have had that authority, but he's delegated it to the Son. Do not marvel at this in verse 28. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs... Notice this resurrection's coming. The now is here. The spiritual resurrection is, is already here. But he says the time's coming in the future when all who are in the tombs, physically dead, will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and to those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. No middle ground. Despite what our world likes to think, this is very binary. It's one or the other. Not lots of little gray areas. Jesus says, the time's coming. The Father's given me judgment because I'm the Son of Man. I've come to lay my life on the cross. I'm the one who's perfectly situated to judge this world. Jesus is not just a nice guy that came to do good things. He's a guy that came the first time to die on the cross and do good things. He's the guy who's going to come the second time as Lord of heaven and earth to execute judgment. And the Bible says to those who've done good, He, he grants you know, life with Him in heaven, and those who've done evil will be forever separated in hell apart from Him. Now let me caution you. The measurement of that is what you've done all of the works of your life, as it were, in a bucket. Good versus bad. Those are merely the evidences of the presence or absence of our saving faith and our surrender in our life to Jesus. Let me say it this way. Those things that you do in your life are not what's going to get you heaven ultimately. Oh, they'll earn you hell all day long. <laughs> the sins and the wrongs that you've done have made us dead in our, in, in our life spiritually and physically. But what Jesus was doing when He comes back, He's going to decide and our life is going to point to our, our actions as evidence of whether or not we ever really trusted Him as our Lord and Savior. You see, when we pray that prayer as I talked about a minute ago, or we take that step of faith in our heart of just yielding to God and believing in Jesus and, and receiving Him as Savior and Lord of our life, that is something that when it is real, it truly changes our life. And our life becomes very different. In fact, the longer that we go on in life, it becomes more and more in alignment with God. We, become, we begin to reflect our Father more. We begin to reflect the Lord Jesus more because He puts a new inclination in our heart and He changes us. And without that change by the Holy Spirit and by our faith in Jesus Christ, our life has nothing but wrong in it. Well, Sean, I've been a good person all my life. I know that. But good in comparison to God is not great. In fact, it's not even good. 
fact, it's really bad. Because the same Bible that teaches us all of this, it says that all of our righteousness, in other words, all of the good stuff that we think we do, is like filthy rags. Like a old filthy, nasty shop rag that you might have to check the oil in your car, or you've wiped your hands too many times, and it's just greasy. That what we think is really good, God looks at it and says, it's awful. Because it's tainted with our sin. That sin has so corrupted everything. It's, it's, it's tainted. Doctors know that no matter how clean your hands look, that if you've been you know, exposed to those germs, they're, they're there. Until something just, you, till you just sheer cleaning and all of that and goes through a thorough sterilizing process that anything those hands do apart from that sterilization process is going to be tainted. So until they scrub up their hands to go into the operating room and all of that, even if they go to do good things and operate on somebody, they can be introducing death to that somebody. And that's what happens is we go around thinking, well, I'm operating, I'm doing good things. And God's like, yeah, but your hands are dirty. And because your hands are dirty, because you've never really surrendered your life to my son, everything else that you've done in your life is dirty and corrupted too. I know you meant well, but meaning well is not good enough. Not with God. And so Jesus is coming back one day to make it very clear. Game over. This world's done. Everybody's had their shot. Not to try to do good versus bad, but to trust Him for life, admit our sin, and let Him clean us up. And then the stuff that we do is good is genuinely seen as good by God because our sin is forgiven and He's washed our hands and our mouth and all of that. And when He comes back, it's very clear where those things will be. So this morning, where are you together with Jesus and the Father together? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? If you haven't, man, I really urge you to do that today. To just nail that down. Don't rely on past and religion and all that stuff. Just, Jesus, I have been dead. I want you in charge. And if that's something that you've done a long time ago, for me, I was 13 when I did that. Then the message you need to be thinking about is today. Where are you finding your hope? Where are you going into the world around you? Do you really live your life seeing God is really at work all around us? It's so easy to get discouraged as Christians and to look at all of that stuff. And we ought to be aware of it to a level. But have you dwelled there so much that you've forgotten that God's at work in your life? Well, I know God's at work in my life, but it's the country I'm worried about. Well, do you know God's at work in the country too? <laughs> do you know God's at work in your family? Do you know God's at work in your work and God's at work in... There's not an area of your life. And so maybe God is trying to encourage you this morning to simply remember that God's still profoundly at work. He hasn't removed Himself from this creation. He's sustaining it and working at it profoundly in your life. Maybe you need to confess that you've forgotten that. Or maybe you need to confess that you've become a little impatient with God. 
<laughs> like standing in the checkout line, like, would you just move along, <laughs> you know, or driving or whatever. God, can you just, I know you're at work, but can you just work a little faster? Maybe you need to confess that and say, God, help me. I don't know. But maybe you've forgotten some of those things, but whatever God has spoken to your heart, I want you to respond to that today as an act of worship, as an act of devotion, as an act of faith, turning your heart to Him. Let Him, as He's spoken into you, you respond to what He said. So I'm going to pray. Our team's going to come up. And this is your time and your own thoughts and your own heart and your own song to reflect and respond to what God's told you. So pray with me. Father in heaven, I thank you for the Lord Jesus and the truth that He lived, that He is, and the profound things that He came Lord, these are sobering. It's exciting to think that He is together with you and that you are, unlike us, there is no animosity ever between the two of you. There's no confusion. There's no disagreement that you are together and in love and distinct and yet one God. And Father, I just, my brain doesn't understand all that, but I'm thankful for the truths that you have revealed. And Lord, I'm grateful that I look at my life, I look at our church, I look at my family, I look in every area, every arena of the world I live in. There's not one area you're not at work. I am grateful for that. Lord, forgive me when I doubt that, when I somehow think because I can't see it that it's not real. And would you help me to, and help us as a church to, to truly live like that's a reality? And Father, I pray for those that you have been working in their life, that you have been calling to salvation, who are spiritually dead, and you are calling them to you. Lord, I pray that this morning, today, that they would respond and hear your voice, surrender their life to Christ, and experience that that they have been that, that life with you, that they pass from judgment and they have eternal life today. And they live, and they can live for the rest of their life forgiven of sins and with you intimately involved in, in, in their, their life in a way that they know you and experience your grace and your power and your presence. Lord, I pray for them. Help them to take that step of faith today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you stand?